Hi everyone! Welcome back to my channel. This is your host Grace. In this episode, the guest speaker I invited here is Professor Knapp. She will introduce her advice and opinion regarding about our topic, which is how to be successful at college and beyond. So, first of all, Professor Knapp, could you briefly introduce yourself to my audience, please? Sure. My name is Jessica Knapp. I am a professor at Seattle University, and I have a PhD in communication. I adjunct teach one class a quarter at Seattle University, either strategic communication or, or strategic communication campaigns, or strategic communication writing. And with the rest of my time, I do strategic communication consulting for healthcare organizations. So I do strategy consulting for them and a lot of writing. So I end up writing website copy, newsletters, marketing emails, stuff like that. So, um, so um, thank you. So um, as a professor and also a freelancer, are there any myths you would like to debunk about these two professions? Oh, about my profession? Yes. Um, oh, that's interesting. Um... I don't, there's, I don't know. I mean, the idea of what it is to be a professor has changed so much. I think when I went into graduate school, there was this idea that it's really glamorous or that there's kind of like a nice, easy lifestyle. And it's definitely really, people work really hard who are professors. Um, and there's not always a lot of teaching so sometimes people spend like 25% or 50% of their time teaching and the rest of the time researching and those people work really really hard on their research um, that's not me though I spend you know like 25% of my time on my teaching and the rest of my time doing writing and marketing um, so I think maybe there's one myth that it's like it's an easy way to have a career I think are there other myths about it? That, um, I don't know. And then I think with freelance work and freelance writing specifically, most of the, the ideas people have in their head are correct. They're just kind of incomplete. So people think that I have a lot of freedom in my schedule, which I do, right? So I do get to pre-pandemic, I could go to a midday yoga class, which I really like to do, right? But that also means that I would end up working until 7 or 8 p.m. to make up for that time. Or it's pretty easy for me if my, my sister and her kids visit from Portland. It's pretty easy for me to, to schedule things so I can take a Tuesday off, but then I'm going to end up working the next weekend. So I do have that kind of flexibility, but I also, I pay my own benefits. I don't have an employer helping me with a retirement account. So people tend to think about the good sides of being a freelancer and they forget about, or they don't think about the downsides of being a freelancer. Okay, thank you. So what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours, specifically what they can start preparing during their undergraduate year, whether it's a professor, yeah. teacher, or freelancer? Yeah, so I think either of these careers, I think it's something you should only go into if you're really 
passionate about what you want to do and if you're someone who's really self-directed because I don't, you know, go into an office and have somebody tell me these are the three things you need to do today or these are the tasks you have for the week. And especially with my freelance work, I have to, I go find clients and all of the money I make is money that I bring in. So you have to be really good at doing things yourself without having someone tell you what to do. And you have to get really good at promoting yourself. So I would say, know if there's something that you're really passionate about. Like for me, it's helping people improve communication in healthcare. But also I have known since the time I was really little that I liked writing and I wanted to do something with writing. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of people who go into freelance have a skill like writing or design or they're really into making websites or something like that that they really want to pursue. and they're just really hyper-focused on that one thing. So if, if you feel like you're that kind of a person, freelance might be really good for you. So I think it may be a good field for you if that's something that you feel about yourself and that resonates with you. And the things that would have helped me if I had known before I got into freelance was if I had been more aware of how to negotiate and how to network more effectively. So I would start learning those skills if you are thinking about going into freelancing. Yeah, sounds like you have to um, be good at writing and communicating effectively for being a freelancer because you have to deal with like different clients with different backgrounds. So how can one improve their social skills to be able to communicate effectively as well as like how to improve their writing skill other than read more and write more? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it is just practice, right? So, I mean, there's two questions there, right? Improving your writing skills and improving your social skills. Mm -hmm. So improving your writing skills, I would say practice, and I would say read the kind of writing that you want to do. So if you want to do, if you want your website writing to be better, or if you want to write better emails, you don't need to go read Moby Dick or a really big, fancy novel read other people's emails that you like. So find somebody who you email with regularly who's really good at writing emails and read their emails and notice what they do. Like notice how they address people and how they sign off and what they say in their emails that makes them sound friendly but also professional. So read the kind of writing that you like and that you want to do and try to emulate that. And when you start a new skill, you might come really close to copying other people. And I would say give yourself some compassion for that because that's that's kind of part of learning a new skill. And then eventually you'll notice that you're doing more and more of your own kind of writing. Thank you. Um, so yeah. And then in terms of actually social skills, so one of my favorite pieces of research in the communication field, wish I could remember who did this or where the study comes from, but it tells us that it only takes about two months of concerted effort to get more comfortable and improve your communication skills. Mm -hmm. So if you really think about it and work about work at it for even just a couple of months, you can get better at your communication skills. So even if you try to, to get more comfortable talking to people and for me, the best networking is when I can talk to somebody face-to-face -face 
or even on Zoom like this. So I really try to connect with people. Um, like I have during the pandemic, I've had a few times where I like gone on walks outside with people if the weather's okay, or you know, like a Zoom conversation like we're doing here and things like that. If you have to do it over email, that's okay. But I think it really works best if you can chat with people and just just practice. And after the interaction, don't beat yourself up, but think about like what went well, what could have gone better and really focus on, if you're an entrepreneur, you're really going to have to embrace the idea of failing forward, which is, um, you know, just the idea that, okay, that didn't go as well as it could have. And instead of beating yourself up about it not going well, think about what can I learn from that so that it, whatever went wrong in that encounter doesn't go wrong the next time this comes up. Well, thank you. So um, do you have any advice you would like to share to the general student population at SU regarding how to succeed academically, such as how to better adapt to the higher academic standard I hear? I think... Um, yeah, that's a that's a big question. Um, one of the biggest pieces of advice I like to give to students is don't be afraid to talk to your professors because there there aren't a lot of students. It's it's always surprising to me how few students will come to office hours or even email with questions, and it it feels to me like it really helps people because most students who ask questions they get clarification on their assignments and. It really helps. Even if they know what they're doing, there's usually some kind of fine tuning that they can give. And even if they heard exactly what I was saying, a lot of times students will ask a question and I'll realize, oh, I didn't explain that very well. So sometimes they help the whole class by asking me a question. So I think it's just, it's a really good habit to get into to ask your professors questions. And um, go visit them during office hours. Try to visit every professor at least once a quarter during their office hours, assuming assuming the pandemic is over and we can do this, right? And that way the professor gets to know you too and you've got a relationship with them in case you really have trouble with an assignment. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the standard advice is, don't put things off to the last minute and study along the way and work on your assignments throughout the quarter. Um, but yeah, I think the the biggest thing that makes a difference is talk to your professors. Okay. So I have another question that may be similar, but still want to ask anyway, just in case you have different answers. So are there anything you wish your students knew, but they are usually not aware of? Oh, interesting. There isn't something that like is on the tip of my tongue, but I I feel like myself and any professor I can think of in communication is like really rooting for them and wants them to succeed, right? And then oh, I can think of something like I like all my students, and I don't know if people know that or um, you know I think sometimes like because maybe I have to give them the grade that they don't want or they, um, they're having a bad day or something like that, right? Like, I don't know 
if this happens to everybody, but when I am teaching, like I, I get this feeling of affection for all of my students. And I think even the ones who feel for whatever reason that I don't like them because there's been some kind of tension in the room or something has happened, right? Or I've had to have a difficult conversation with them. Like I have a real feeling of affection for all of my students and I am really rooting for all of them. And I think most people who teach have that kind of an attitude toward it. So um, I think it might help people if they knew that, you know, a lot of people in teaching are really rooting for them. That's really good to know. Yeah. yeah. So you are good. a professor right now. You have also been a student before. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what is the biggest challenge you have met during your educational career and how did you overcome it and what did you learn from it? Okay. Um, boy, there's been a, I mean, I've had a long academic career because I went all the way through and got my PhD. So I've had a lot of challenges. One that sticks out is one of my statistics classes in graduate school. I, I failed the class and this is in graduate school, right? So there's no room to not make the requirements. So um, I didn't, when it first happened, I didn't know if that meant like I just failed out of my doctoral program or what happened, but I just got, got to a level of statistics where I didn't understand it and it just didn't compute in my brain. And so I took a couple of advanced statistics classes, but I got to a certain point with advanced statistics where it didn't work for me anymore. And I didn't even know what questions to ask. So I had, I remember real distinctly sitting in the class and the professor may as well have been speaking another language for all I could have understood. So I tried, I tried really hard. I tried finding tutors and you get to a certain level in statistics and it's hard to even find tutors who can tutor you. Um, And I, so I spent, a certain number of hours on the homework. I tried finding tutorials online. Um, I asked my advisor. My advisor walked me through a couple of lessons on it, which did help a little bit, but it just didn't, it it was going to take me like a year to learn what I needed to learn in a couple of months. So um, I didn't make it through the class. And what happened was my original plan had been to be like a quantitative expert. And I just, my brain just couldn't learn these statistics fast enough to get through a PhD program with this, the statistics I needed to do quantitative research. So I ended up, um, it was going to be okay. So I had to go to my advisor and my academic, there's a director of every graduate program. So I went to the the director of the program and it ended up, it was going to be okay for me to fail one class. And I, um, I ended up taking a couple of advanced qualitative methods classes and changing my research to be mixed methods. So I did some quantitative and some qualitative. So I had to like kind of revamp myself, but I remember being, it was really stressful and really hard because I had to completely like rethink who I thought I was as a researcher and also for a while, I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe this means I'm out of my whole program. Um, but I am 
I am now grateful for it because it gives me more empathy for students I have who are really struggling because I know what it feels like to be in a class and just have no idea what's happening and be completely lost. Well, yeah, that, yeah. that sounds really hard because I'm also not really good at math, so I can definitely feel you. Yeah. yeah. So are you, I'm just curious, so are you only, because I saw in graduate school, you are not required to take classes that's not related to your major. So why do you need to take statistics class? Is it because you need it for your research paper? Like, Yeah, so you have to do, if you're going to be a professor, in most fields, you have to do research. Mm-hmm. And so in, in my field, in interpersonal communication, you have to decide if you want to do quantitative or qualitative research because you're going to do actual studies with people in them. And I had thought most of the people in my field do quantitative research. So I just defaulted to doing that. But I don't have the mathematical skills to be a quantitative researcher. Yeah. yeah. There's other fields where you you write papers and you do rhetoric and you don't do math at all. You don't do studies like that. And then there's other people who do quanti- qualitative studies where you, you, know, you interview people and do focus groups. And um, so you don't have to do math in graduate school. But... Yeah. Now yeah. you make me very glad that like I take qualitative like research class for this quarter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like Dr. Liu is amazing at quantitative research. Yeah, she she has the math chops. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, what is one thing that you wish you knew back in college that will help you to make more of your undergraduate experience? Oh, interesting. Um. I wish, so I did the honors program at Seattle University. Are you familiar with that? Honor program? Yes, I, I know what it is. So I, it was a really good education in Western civilization. So they take you through um, history, art, philosophy in Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And it was a really good education in that. In fact, some of the classes I took in my master's degree at Fordham University, I felt like I had gotten a better education at Seattle University in undergrad. So I have no regrets about that program. But there were some people who were in that program with me who were very aggressive about getting outside the program um, in additional classes. So making sure to take some psychology and experiment with business classes. And because we got so much history, English, philosophy. And I wish I had known the value of trying a business class and trying a, a psychology class and like how what a great opportunity is when you're in college to experiment with all of those different types of learning. Yeah, I think that's like one of the advantage for UCOR class because you can like try different class in different field and figure out your interest. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have UCOR when I was. Oh in school that's i think ucor is great it's a new thing yeah. yeah yeah and this is all of the question i have for you today thank you for participating in this interview professor knapp and this concludes this episode i hope you enjoy it and as always if you have any question please leave a comment below and i will be happy to answer your question
So see you guys next time. Bye.